0: morning grace church this morning's scripture reading comes from the book of john chapter 5 verses 15 through 29 the man went away and told the jews that it was jesus who had healed him and this was why the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing these things on the sabbath but jesus answered them my father is working until now and i am working this was why the jews were seeking all the more to kill him he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life, to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Good morning. Have you ever gotten... Someone entirely
1: wrong. What I mean is, have you ever completely misjudged someone? I, I'm a little embarrassed that the first illustration that came to my mind was this, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. I think that's the basic plot line of every romantic comedy ever, isn't it? Some cute girl's having a bad day, bumps into some cute guy and finds him initially entirely repulsive. Then, through a few twists of fate and comedy of errors, she discovers he's actually a prince of some con- some country in Europe, <laughs> and surprisingly, he's charming and likable after all. The very man she misread as obnoxious, turns out to be her prince charming, right? I really don't like romantic comedies, but there you go. Silly example, but I imagine that all of us have some sort of bad... Misread at some point, right? Maybe your version goes the other way though. Maybe instead of initially judging someone worse than they were and finding out later that they're better, maybe you initially judge someone to be kind and decent only to find out that they were anything but. And it seems actually like most of the most terrible tragedies on both the personal level and world stage somehow fall into this category. Well, this is the, this passage and really all of John's gospel for the most part is the story of one of the greatest misreads or the greatest misread in history, in the history of mankind. And we get a a good encapsulation of that in this passage today. The backdrop is the growing hatred of Jesus among the Jews and in particular among the Jewish leaders. The religious leaders believed that they were justified in this hatred because of the things that Jesus was saying and doing. But the real reason that they hated and what he said and did was because they were way 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 off on who he was. Are you with me? They saw what he said and they saw what he did and they felt justified in their hatred of him for those reasons, but the, the real reason for their hatred was they were so far off on who he actually was. Recognizing this, realizing that this was at the heart of the matter, in our passage for this morning, Jesus responded, giving 11 aspects of his nature that gave rise and legitimacy to his words and actions. The main point over all of this passage, and one we would do well to lock in with the help of the Spirit, is that if we get Jesus wrong, if you get Jesus wrong, you get everything else wrong too. Adults, you need to get this. Kids, you need to get this. If Jesus is less or other in your mind from who he is, the rest of your life is off kilter as well. You you cannot live any other you cannot live rightly in any other area of your life if you get this off. So again, getting Jesus right is the beginning of living in this world as you were made to do. My main prayers, therefore, this week and today and throughout, throughout this week, this next week, as I, as I look back on this and ask, ask all week, God, would you work in this way through the sermon? And this next week, I look back and pray, God, would you do this now that we've shared in this word together, is this, three of them, that we would consider Jesus' own words concerning himself, testing that against our own version of Jesus, our own understanding of Jesus. Is, is your understanding of Jesus able to accommodate for each of the claims he makes about himself? We're where that's not the case, and it isn't the case perfectly for any of us, that we would allow those claims of Jesus to refine our understanding of Jesus, and then also that we would live entirely in light of them in every way. So let's pray that God would do these things. God, as I continued to work through this this week, the the thing that burdened me most is to consider 11 claims of this magnitude in this short of a period of time seems to sell them short. It, it seems as if by not spending weeks and weeks and weeks on any one of these, we're, we run the risk of missing that. They're unimaginable. Any Any one of these is beyond anything we've ever met in any person on this earth. And yet 11 of them together, just like that rapid fire, it, it's just, we ought to be overwhelmed and amazed and stirred to worship in the highest. And, and yet I, again, all week, I just felt the weight of going so quickly through these that we'd, we'd miss how awesome each one of them are. So please, by, by your spirit, make, make us not, cause us not to miss, miss that. Help us. Instead, to be stirred and to long to press more and deeper into each of these on our own or in our small groups or with our family, but but to take each one of these and be freshly awed by them and in light of them, freshly surrender ourselves to you. We might follow you wherever you lead and whatever it costs, that we might have life to the full, as Jesus says, everlasting life, eternal life to the full. So as Matt prayed and as we prayed in the song, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Wake, wake us up to where we're asleep to the glories of this text and where our lives aren't conformed properly to it. Give us a fresh sense of amazement at Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man. In his name we pray. Amen. Again, in their own minds, the Jews were right to persecute Jesus even to the point of putting him to death as they were scheming for two main reasons. This was mainly last week, so I want to I bring you up to speed. You, you know last week's sermon covered the beginning verses of this text, and that's on purpose. Uh, we, last week's sermon ended with verse 18. I wanted to back up a bit mainly for this right here. So why did the Jews believe they were right in hating Jesus? Two main reasons. First, because he was violating the Sabbath. And second, because he was wrongly claiming to be equal with God. See see these in verses 16 to 18. First, violating the Sabbath. Interestingly, we saw last week that the main charge against him wasn't so much that he was breaking it, but that he incited the man whom he healed on the Sabbath to break it. In other places in the Gospels, though, Jesus was accused of breaking the Sabbath by healing on it. You can check out Luke 14, for instance. So we can probably assume there was some of this in there in their words, but in 16 we read, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things, healing a man and telling him to pick up his bed and walk away on the Sabbath. So Again, in their, their minds, their anger was rightly kindled because Jesus was doing these things and encouraging others to as well. And second, making himself equal with God. the Jews, The Jews were right <laughs> that Jesus was making these claims, claiming to have the same right to work on the Sabbath as God, being over the Sabbath in a certain way as God was. These these kinds of claims definitely should have raised the eyebrows of anyone who took the word of God seriously. So in 17, but it, Jesus answered, my father is working at the at the accusation that you were doing something on the Sabbath you shouldn't have been doing. Jesus responded by saying, my father is working until now and I am working. And then in 18, and this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Seek to kill somebody. That sounds bad enough. But when you decide all the more, I need to seek to kill him. That's you know next level murder, I guess. Because he was not only breaking the Sabbath and and encouraging others to as well, but he also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The key for us to recognize here that leads us into the rest of the sermon and the heart and bulk of the sermon is that there's two underlying assumptions in the Jews' accusations. you already, maybe already picked up on them. If not, here they are. No mere man ought to claim these things about himself. Embedded in their anger, embedded in their frustration, embedded in their murderous intent are two underlying assumptions. Number one, no mere man ought to claim these things about himself. And here's the key one. Secondly, Jesus was a mere man. That 's embedded in their accusations. It should be easy for us to agree with the Jews that, in so far as these assumptions are right, anger is appropriate, and Jesus ought to have been stopped you You with me? Does that make sense? These are the two main assumptions, and if they 're both right, they were right for the most part in their actions. so everything hinges then on whether or not they were right in their assumptions. Well, the first one seems simple enough. I, I think easily all of us should concede the first assumption. It seems plain enough to me anyway, and I assume to you. No mere man or woman should claim the things that Jesus was claiming. If, if we're a mere man or a mere woman, we shouldn't make these claims. The very first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. God is God alone, making yourself equal to God, or claiming that you're equal with God is entirely out of bounds for every mere man. And in a similar way, it is clear that God requires his people to honor the Sabbath. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, we find the wordiest of all the commandments, 10 commandments. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord, or to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the, and the, the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's plain it's clear all men must honour the Sabbath according to God's decree. And in a not very subtle way, Jesus was claiming authority over the Sabbath, something that you and I should never do as mere men and women. You with me, Grace? That's pretty straightforward, right? You're tracking. But I think you're probably, if you are tracking, you already are where I'm about to be. It brings us to the second assumption. So I said it hinges on whether or not the first two assumptions are true. I think we can agree the first one is, which means all of this hinges on the second assumption. And that's the entire reason Jesus said what he said in our, in our passage this morning. Is their second assumption right? That Jesus was merely a man like them, and like you and me. If that's true, then the response of the Jewish leaders was mostly right. But is it true? Was Jesus merely a man as they suspected? And again, that leads to the bulk of the text, the bulk of the sermon, and the heart of all that Jesus said. Again, the Jews believed they hated Jesus rightly, that they were right to do that because the things he said and did were not appropriate to who he was. It was because they didn't accept his claims, the ones they'd already heard him make, about his nature and that his words and actions seemed blasphemous to them. And it was for that reason that Jesus gives in this passage one of the clearest explanations of who he really is found anywhere in the Bible. That, like, that's a big, big claim I just made. I'm going to say it again because I want you to get this. It is for that reason that these they're getting it wrong in interpreting what he said and did because they were getting it wrong in terms of who he was. And so in this passage, we get from Jesus' own words, one of the clearest explanations of himself found anywhere in the Bible. In the 15 verses of our passage, Jesus explicitly names 11 truths about who he is in his being that are anything but mere humanity. It's as if Jesus said in the loudest and clearest possible terms, you you need to fix your understanding of who I am so that you can have your understanding fixed of what I've said and done. What then did Jesus say about himself? Eleven things. Number one, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm going to come back to this in just a little bit. So I just want to say this now. Jesus claimed to be able to work on the Sabbath, just as God did in creation. He said, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus claimed to be the Lord of the Sabbath, and that is a claim that sets him apart from every mere man. No mere man has the right to make that claim. Jesus was explaining, I'm no mere man. Second, he was the son of God and the son of man. This too I'll come back to in just a little bit. But the key is to see that Jesus was not claiming to be a son of God, which was fine, but the son of God, which was not. That is, Jesus wasn't claiming God as our father, which was fine, but God as my father, which was not. Likewise, towards the end, he was not claiming to be a son of man, but the son of man. A son of man is fine. We're all sons of men. The son of man was different. Again, I'll explain why later. Verse 17, but Jesus said to them, my father, not our father, my father is working until now. Verse 18, the Jews were upset, not just because of what he said and did, but because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 27, and he has given him, that is the father has given the son authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. There's a way in which Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man that is entirely different from every mere man. Third, plainly enough, Jesus was in fact claiming to be equal with God. The claims Jesus made might be somewhat subtle to our modern day ears. I I I wondered this week if if you just read through what Jesus had said before this, uh, up to this point. Would you have understood him to, in the same way the Jews did? In other words, would you get these claims? It, it, it's more subtle to us than it was to them. The Jews picked up even, even something where he says, my father is working until now and I am working. I wonder how many of you would have heard that and thought he's making himself equal to God by, by claiming that. And he actually is in two ways in that, those few words. The words Jesus spoke in response to their charge gave an incredible, like everything that follows added to their suspicion. But even those 10 words, my father is working until now and I am working, within that Jesus was claiming truly, he really was. They were right about this, to be equal with God and not just a mere man. Number four, he claimed to be entirely obedient to the father. In verse 19, Jesus claimed to have perfect insight into the will and work of God and perfect conformity to it. You with me, Grace? Not, not, just, not just some of what God required and not just some of what God did, but all of what God required and all of what God did, Jesus was claiming to have knowledge of, and not just knowledge of it, but conformity to it. So Jesus, verse 19, said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. If you're a Jew and you're convinced that he's a mere man, this should make your blood boil. Grace, God is kind to reveal to us all that he requires of us, not all that he's doing. Most of his will to us is a mystery. But he does require all or he does reveal all that he requires of us to us in the Bible, and that's kind, but that's a long way from revealing to us all that he himself is doing. Likewise, it is good for us to grow in obedience to God and even to celebrate that and tell others, I'm growing in my following of Jesus, but that's a long way from doing everything that God does. Jesus had both and claimed to have both because he's no mere man. Five. Five. Entirely loved by the Father. Verse 20 elaborates on the grounds that Jesus could make the claim he did in verse 19. Why would the Father reveal everything he was doing to the Son? And how would the Son be able to perfectly obey all that the Father said? He has perfect insight into the Father's will. And the Father reveals all that he is doing to Jesus because... The Father has perfect love for Jesus, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. There is a kind of love we read in John 3.16 that God has for the entire world, and there's a particular kind of love. We read over and over, we'll hear Jesus pray a special kind of love over his people, those who trust and obey him, but the kind of love that the Father has for the Son, that is for Jesus is greater still in that it is an eternal love, a love without beginning or end. That is a kind of love that finite people like you and I can never experience. But Jesus is ever anything but finite like you and I. He is entirely loved by the Father eternally. Number six, Jesus claimed as well to be all-powerful. You're misreading the things that I say, and do? You're getting angry because you're right that no mere man should claim these, but you're wrong that I'm a mere man. I am all-powerful. All As we saw last week, John records many varieties of miracles from Jesus, from healing the sick to knowing the hearts and minds of all men, to feeding vast crowds with a few pieces of bread and a few fish, to raising people from the dead, to raising from the dead himself. Mere men can't do any of those things, but verse 20 adds something even more remarkable still. And greater works than these the Father will show him, Jesus, that Jesus will participate in so that you all may marvel. The Father shows Jesus all he does, and Jesus joins the Father in all of it. Jesus is no mere man. He, along with the Father, is all-powerful. Grace, ask Ask the Spirit to stir your heart for these things. I know many of them are not entirely new or maybe not new at all to you. But this, this is our Lord. (laughs) This is the Son of God. This is the one in whom we trust. Number seven, physical, spiritual, and eternal life giver. Jesus claims to be the physical, spiritual, and eternal life giver. As an example of Jesus seeing and doing all that the Father does with all power, Jesus gives life even as the Father gives life because Jesus is life even as the Father is life. Again, more remarkable than just that he is a life giver is that there are three kinds of life giving mentioned in just these few verses. Jesus gives physical life as evidenced by his healing of the official son who was near death. It's a physical healing that Jesus gave. It was a physical stopping of physical death that Jesus did. That's at least part of what verse 21 was referring to, and not a thing a mere man can do. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son of Man gives life to all whom he will. More than that, though, Jesus not just gives or sustains or preserves physical life, but he gives spiritual life to all who receive him. That is, in him is forgiveness of sins and new life in the Holy Spirit. That is not something that mere men can give. But it is what Jesus claimed for himself in 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes, him who sent me, the Father, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And 25, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Well, more than that still, not just physical life, and not even just spiritual life, is Jesus able to give, but so too is eternal resurrection life. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. On the day of final judgment, Jesus will call forth every man and woman and child to give an account for their lives. To all who have done evil and refused to accept the salvation offered in Jesus, Jesus will grant everlasting death. But to those who do good through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, given by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Jesus will grant everlasting resurrection life into the new heavens and new new earth. Who but God alone can do such marvelous works? What mere man can perform these deeds? None. Number eight, he's self-existent. You get my words and Deeds wrong because you get me wrong. I am self-existent. Verse 26, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Every mere man and woman, all of us, has contingent, derivative life. It comes to us from another. We do not have life in ourselves. We have life that was given to us, as we just saw. God alone has life in himself. He has eternally granted this to the Son, His Son as well. Again, it is for that reason. It is because this is who Jesus is that He is able to join the Father in giving the life that we just saw. Be amazed, Grace Church. This is awesome. Number nine, He is the Judge as well. The beginning of the Gospel is that God is the Creator King. What is the beginning of the very good news that Jesus came to proclaim? It is that God is creator, king, and righteous judge of all that has been made. Well, God has called all of us to share in certain ways, in certain aspects of creating and ruling and judging rightly. That is, you and I share in that in some ways. He's the creator, king, and righteous judge. We, we are made by God to participate in creating in ruling, in judging, in certain ways that are appropriate to us. But the Jews were right to conclude that no mere man is these things. We do these things by God's charge, but no mere man is these things with God, creator, king, and righteous judge. But they were tragically wrong again in thinking that Jesus was a mere man. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me as eternal life, he does not come into judgment. Skipping ahead to 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. We already saw that, right? For the world was already condemned. But he did come into the world and will return to the world to pronounce judgment on what is. This is not the work that any mere man can do. And to claim that it is should get you into trouble if you are. Number 10, worthy of all honor. In another twist of irony, the Jews believed they were honoring God by persecuting Jesus. They believed they were honoring God by persecuting Jesus. In reality, however, Jesus stated plainly that men will honor both he and the Father or they will honor neither. To honor the Father is to honor the Son, even as honoring the Son is honoring the Father. Verse 22, for the Father has given all judgment to the Son, and it tells us why, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is the same great tragedy that is so prevalent in our world today. Mankind has futilely devised countless ways of seeking God and attempting to honor Him apart from Jesus Christ. It's everywhere around us. This is in one way or another at the core of every false religion and man-made philosophy. But Jesus left no doubt that he was not merely a good moral teacher or an important prophet or an exceptionally faithful son of Abraham. He, If he were merely those things, the ire of the Jews that we see in these passages would have been mostly appropriate. But Jesus shares glory with the one who will not give his glory to another. And that is because Jesus is no mere man. He is the son of God and worthy of all honor. Lastly, number 11, he was sent by God. Perhaps the best way to sum all of this up is found in verse 24. Jesus was standing before and talking to the Jews who were increasingly despising him. And he was doing so in perfect obedience to the Father's will, having been sent for that very purpose by the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life. In this final clarifying claim made by Jesus, we'd have to laugh if it weren't so tragic. It'd be almost comical how wrong the Jews were on almost every single point of contention. Whatever else they might have gotten right or wrong, the second most important thing they missed was that in their zeal, the <laughs> zeal to shut down any opposition to the one true God, They were actually opposing the one true God themselves. Jesus was there because he had been sent by the Father to say and to do the things that he was doing that was causing so much anger and hatred among them. To be angry at the claims and works of Jesus in the person of Jesus, therefore, was to be angry with God himself. That was the second most significant mistake they made, missing that he was sent from God. The first, once again, was missing that Jesus wasn't merely sent by God. He was and is God. All right. Well, because Jesus is these things, you get me, you're me? you getting me all wrong. You're, you're judging the things I'm saying and doing entirely wrongly because you don't understand who I am. Here's who I am. Well, because Jesus is these things, we can see that it was the second assumption of the Jews that was false, that Jesus was a mere man. That was the problem. While their concerns, again, were entirely valid for any mere man who would say those things or do those things, Jesus was no mere man, Grace. He was and eternally is, as we just saw, far, far more than that. This means that the response of the Jews to the things Jesus said and did also was way off. In light of these things, we need to briefly reconsider the two things that we started with. What Jesus said and did in regarding to the Sabbath and his relationship to God, the two main charges against him. Concerning the Sabbath, the simple command that God intended his people to follow, to honor the rhythm of creation in submission to their finitude and as a sign of trust in God was to refrain from the normal work they did day in and day out for six days. Keeping the Sabbath day holy was less about the amount of work that you did and more about setting a day aside, truly setting it aside to particularly honor God by worshiping him and doing good together as a people. For a myriad of reasons, some likely well-intentioned and others probably not, the Jewish leaders over time had added a whole bunch of very specific, some have counted 39, specific rules about what it meant to keep the Sabbath. And so we read the command earlier. It's it's fairly straightforward. Essentially, it is agreed that it means don't do your normal work on Sunday. Take a break from the normal work where the goal is a, a certain kind of production and provision. But they took that simple Idea that simple way of setting apart a time to honor God in a unique way and added rule after rule after rule. But here's the thing, Grace. What Jesus did was in complete fulfillment with what the Father actually required. And so they were wrong that he was even breaking the Sabbath. And what makes it even more tragic still is it shows how far away from the truth they really were instead of rightly being filled with awe and wonder that Jesus was truly fulfilling the Sabbath by healing this man, instead of being filled with the awe and wonder that they should have been, Jesus' miracles and teaching made them violently angry. This is a good lesson for us, Grace. At best, by adding to God's commandments, at best, adding to God's commandments puts unnecessary, un sustainable burdens upon us. More often, it gets worse still, and it prevents us from actually being able to do what God has called us to when we add to what he says. And worst of all, man-made additions to the commands of God make us angry when we're around people who do actually obey, which is what happened here. In other words, because the Jews misunderstood Jesus was, who Jesus was, they missed the reality that he was right and they were wrong concerning what it meant to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And Because of that, they were angry and contemptuous when they should have been filled with gladness and worship. Thank you for severing the shackles that we've put on ourselves. Thank you for helping us to see that there's a glory here that we've been missing. And in our attempt to go beyond what you've called us to, we're missing some of the joy of the Sabbath. Thanks for clearing that up. But but there's more to it than that. Not only was Jesus not violating it, so that they were wrong in their accusation against him, it gets worse still. The second reason for their anger was that they believed Jesus wrongly claimed to have divine authority, making himself equal with God, we saw. But as the 11 truths about Jesus that were given to us by Jesus, as they point out, Jesus was and is equal to God. He did and does have divine authority. The Jews acknowledged that while God rested, this is the key to understanding this, Grace. The Jews acknowledged that while God rested from his creation work, for six days he created all that was has been made, On the seventh day, he rested from that particular kind of work. The Jews acknowledge this, but he continued on with using all power with his sustaining work and his providential ruling work. In other words, if God truly rested and did no work on the seventh day, the whole creation dissolves into nothing. He continues to sustain it by the word of his power, And he continues to providentially rule over it. In that way, the Sabbath for man was different from God. God never rests because God never gets tired. Thus, when Jesus declared, my father is working until now and I am working, he went a step further from simply saying that his actions were entirely consistent with the commands of God for the Sabbath, which they were. He went further than that, though. In those few simple words, Jesus claimed the same right and necessity to work on the Sabbath as his father had, and that was entirely appropriate because he was and is God. In addition, Jesus claimed to be the son of God and the son of man. Again, their claim that it was wrong for him to make himself equal to God was wrong because he was equal to God. The unique way in which he described God as his father was in reference to To the fact that he's the second person of the Trinity. And then the unique way in which he claimed to be the Son of Man was a, was, he was claiming the Messianic reference in Daniel 7. Do you know this already? Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I, this is Daniel, saw, saw in the night visions. And behold, when the clouds of heaven, or behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion was an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. This is what Jesus was claiming for himself. That these things might be true seems never to have occurred to the Jews. And so they persecuted him and plotted his murder all the more. But grace, these things are true of Jesus. He is no mere man. And because of that, it changes everything. And so here's my conclusion. I want to leave you with a question. The question confronting you and me is the same question in light of what Jesus just said that confronted his first audience. Was Jesus telling the truth about himself or not? Is that, these 11 claims that he just made, is that really who he was and, and and is or not? In other words, here's the question. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you understand him to be? And I mean what I'm about to say earnestly. If he was an imposter, as the Jews believed, we should treat him as they did, with contempt as a menace to society. Actually, Grace Church, if they were right, and he was nothing more than an imposter, we should have nothing to do with him at all. They had to deal with him because he was standing right in front of them and causing a ruckus. But we don't. I mean this, Grace. Believe this. Paul says this himself. If they were right, Jesus is dead and his body is rotted away. It rotted away a long time ago. Get out of here. I mean this, leave Grace Church, leave the church. If if they were right and he was an imposter, get out of here. Throw off the shackles put on you by Christian morality and false claims of Jesus and his followers. Get Get out of here. Enjoy your life on your own terms. Eat and drink and be as happy as you can be with whatever makes you happy. That's the alternative. Get out of here and go do that. Don't waste your time. If Jesus was an imposter, you don't don't want to be here. But if Jesus was telling the truth and the Jewish leaders were wrong, that changes everything. If Jesus really was and is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of God and the Son of Man, equal with God, entirely obedient to the Father, entirely loved by the Father, all-powerful, the eternal life-giver, judge of the world, worthy of all honor, sent by God and the dead raiser, And self-existent, the self-existent one, then you are right to be here. And you are. (laughs) And you are right to worship him with all of your being and to follow him wherever he leads and whatever it costs. And we're right to keep working our way through this gospel in order to find out all that Jesus says about himself and calls us to in response. And we are right to give ourselves entirely to living in light of all that Jesus said. And we are right to make this good news known, even at the cost of our lives, to the ends of the earth. Amen, Grace Church.